0: That song, as I've grown older in Christ, has become more and more precious to me. It is a song that I hope we would sing throughout this week. We desperately need Christ right now. And so, open up your Bibles or turn them on and swipe or turn to Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. We are in the middle of the third triad or the third set of three plagues in the book of Exodus. The plagues have continued to get worse. They've grown in intensity and severity. If you recall the very the first meeting between Pharaoh and Moses, there was this initial sign where Moses or actually it was Aaron put his rod his staff down it turns into a snake and it swallows the staffs of the magicians in Egypt and that kind of set the tone for the rest of the plagues and since then what we have been seeing is Egypt being swallowed up over and over. We, we've seen them swallowed up by blood and by frogs and gnats and flies. The death of their livestock boils and hail and this week We come to the eighth plague, and there's not much left in Egypt, but what is left is about to be swallowed up by locusts, and so in today's text as we walk through it, I want you to notice a few things, okay? I want you to notice how Moses starts the explanation of this plague with God reminding him that he has hardened Pharaoh's heart, but now also he's hardening the servant and the servants of Pharaoh, their hearts, Notice also God gives another purpose for the plagues here. The the Israelites and Moses in particular would share what he has done with the next generations. Also notice Pharaoh again tries to bargain with God. Does not go well, of course. And once again we see at the end Pharaoh does express some remorse. But it's not true repentance. His heart is still hard. And So let's pray one more time and we'll dive into this. Father, we, we definitely need you. Apart from your spirit working in us right now, my words are useless. And so I, I plead with you right now, invade our hearts with your spirit. Open our spiritual eyes to see your glory. Help us walk out of here impressed by you, by what Christ has accomplished for us. Help us walk away from here both with a better awareness of our own sinfulness and a a better awareness of your mercy and your grace and a a greater assurance that we can rest in that and not in ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, pick up with me in chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Okay, so I'm going to read a little bit, talk a little bit here, okay? So, First thing I want you to notice, it's interesting that now God is hardening not just Pharaoh's heart, but also the hearts of his servants. And I wonder, and I don't know this for sure, but perhaps these are the servants that in the last plague did not heed the word of the Lord. They they did not trust in the word of the Lord. And what happened to all of their livestock and their, their slaves? They got pummeled by hail. And so perhaps this is, again, God just kind of giving them over to a hard heart that they already had. And it just continues to grow harder. Once again, we see God's purposes being revealed here. He's hardened their hearts. Why? So that he could show them these signs. Why does he want to show them these signs? Well, we have another reason here. It says so that Moses would tell the next generations about what he's done, and, and so that they may know that he is the Lord, that he is Yahweh. And the, the good news is this, that this story of God's redemption is not just Moses' story, it's our story. And so we have the great privilege, it's not, this is not a de, just simply like a demand that we have to go, we get to go and share the gospel, and we get to tell our kids and our grandkids about what God has done for us. Uh, here at Mercy Hill, I want to encourage you, and I I haven't said this recently, and I, I don't say this enough, but as parents, you are the number one disciplers of your kids. What happens here during Mercy Kids is a supplement to what you are already doing. So we want to equip you to do that well, but we only get to see them for like 45 minutes to an hour a week, okay? And so... As parents, you get the privilege of being able to share with them. So a uh, couple great tools that, that I've mentioned in the past, uh, and, and I don't know if we have copies of this here today, but if we do, I'll give you one if you don't have one. The Jesus Story Bible uh, is a phenomenal resource for both kids and adults to, to learn how Jesus is about, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Um, I would highly encourage you to pick one of those up. If we've got one back there, I will gladly give you one. We're going to order some more if you don't have a copy of that. And then the second one, uh, there's an app that you can go to. It's a, the New City Catechism. Okay, We went through this as a church a couple years ago. If you're in your bulletin right now, there's a link for it that I put in there. And so you can, you can check that out also. But it's a, just another great way. It's got 52 questions and answers that you can walk through, good for kids and good for adults. But these are just a couple different ways that, that you can continue to pass on the story of God's redemption onto your kids and your grandkids. So I would highly encourage you to out when you get a chance. All right, back to our text. Verse 3. So Moses and Aaron, they went into Pharaoh and they said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. They shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants and all of the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came On earth to this day, then he turned and he went out from Pharaoh. It's kind of like drop the mic kind of moment, right? He just gives them the declaration: "This was going to happen. I'm out." Well, God asks a rhetorical question here to Pharaoh, right? How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Now, God is not looking for new information here. God already knows the answer to this question. He's asking this question really to condemn Pharaoh. And I want you to think about this. Pharaoh, and really all of us, will either be humbled by the Lord or humiliated by the Lord. The fall requires this. See, in the fall, sin enters into the world. And because of the fall, because of sin, we have all inherited these hearts that are sinful and rebellious against God. And so because of that, we will either live our lives just kind of blindly... Thinking that we are good enough and that our, our, quote, goodness is enough that God will bless us. Or, or we live our lives and we don't even care about God and don't even think about God. And in the end, what will happen to us is we will be humiliated. Every knee will bow before the Lord in the end. Or we will be humbled by God as he opens up our eyes to see. And, and, and we come to recognize that we're in, we are sinners. And that we need a savior. We need grace and our only hope is Jesus. And so our sinful hearts require us to either be humbled or be humiliated. The good news is that God loves us so much that he was willing to come and be humiliated himself. On our behalf, dying on the cross in our place. In that, there's a new covenant that's ushered in. We're given new hearts that, and dwelt with his spirit that are soft and that are being filled with humility so that we will trust in him and we will live a lifestyle of repentance. Now, in Pharaoh's case, God is rightly shaming him because, look, he's, he's basically saying, look, haven't you been humiliated enough? How many plagues is it gonna take for you to be, humbled. His servants are asking him the same question. Look down at verse 7. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt, Egypt is ruined? And so Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh and he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? So he's starting to negotiate here, right? So Moses says, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and our herds. For we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord. For that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So Pharaoh's servants are begging him, look, repent. <laughs> Haven't we seen enough? But once again, Pharaoh still wants to believe that he's in control. He, he's trying to bargain with God. And remember, Pharaoh thinks that he is a God. And so he thinks he's on the same level as Yahweh. And so it, it, in his mind, it's right for us to, let's negotiate about this, right? And Pharaoh knows that if, if he only lets the men go, they're going to be highly, highly motivated to come back because their wives and their children are going to be still in Egypt. But there's no negotiating with God. And Moses makes it very clear. Everybody goes, the men, the women, the children, old, young, we all and we're going to take our flocks with us too. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I think it's worth saying again. God doesn't simply demand for you to be a good person. God demands you to be a holy person. There's a big difference. He demands for you to be perfect. He demands complete devotion, full surrender, flawless obedience. He doesn't command us to love him with half of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's no bargaining with God. And so when we have this kind of mindset where, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try harder to, to be a good person so that you accept me. When we do that when we have that kind of mindset what are we doing we're negotiating with god i can remember doing this especially when i was younger i I can remember kind of trying to bargain with god god if you i will i will go to church every single week if you just help me do good in this basketball game (laughs) all right it was silly stuff too but i would try to bargain with god and we we do that but there's no bargaining with god and so again This is why the good news of the gospel is actually good news. It's not just average news. Our best efforts to be a good person always fall short. Let me say that again. Our best efforts to be a good person will always fall short of what God demands. And so the good news is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And and so the gospel is not God helps those who help themselves, okay? That is not what we see in the Bible. Fortunately for us, the good news is that even in our sinful rebellion, God graciously offers His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. He forgives us and He frees us from the penalty of sin and and the power of sin. And so now, there's no negotiating with God. There's no need to negotiate with God because he's already accomplished everything. We have nothing that we bring to the table. And so we have to rely and rest on what Christ has accomplished. He has everything. We have nothing to offer. And so we simply receive the free gift of salvation through faith in what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. And we just we say thank you. We say thank you. We don't deserve this. Now, unfortunately for Pharaoh, his heart is too hard to see this. He's not willing to humble himself. In fact, we see here how sin not only blinds us from seeing our need for salvation, it also twists what we hear so that even the truth often seems evil. Pharaoh is actually convinced that Moses has some kind of evil purpose purpose in mind. Uh, Pharaoh says sarcastically to Moses, the Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Look, you, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And so Pharaoh here is putting words into the mouth of Moses. He's hearing what he wants to hear. And in the end, the negotiations break down, and he just drives Mo- Moses out of there. We see the result of what happens next. Look at verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, So that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night when it was morning. The east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, and such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before nor ever will be again, They covered the face of the whole land, so the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all of the land of Egypt. Now, I I want us to get a sense of the magnitude of this plague. How many of you have kind of experienced the cicada over the last couple of weeks? Maybe you, like, wiped them off your windshield, heard the buzz. Imagine that except they're all little like brown grasshoppers and multiply it by like a thousand or more. And and that's what you've got going on here. Uh, I I found this video that kind of gives a little bit more explanation. Check this out.
1: There is no other species on the planet that responds as quickly and as dramatically to the good times as the desert locust. Eggs that have remained in the ground for 20 years begin to hatch. The young locusts are known as hoppers, for at this stage they're flightless. They find new feeding grounds by following the smell of sprouting grass. Normally, it takes four weeks for hoppers to become adults, but when the conditions are right, as now, their development switches to the fast track. As the vegetation in one place begins to run out, the winged adults release pheromones, scent messages, which tell others in the group that they must move on. And when groups merge, they form a swarm. locust eats its entire body weight every day, and a whole swarm can consume literally hundreds of tons of vegetation. They have to keep on moving. The swarm travels with the wind. It's the most energy-saving way of flying. Following the flow of wind means that they're always heading toward areas of low pressure. Places where wind meets rain and vegetation starts to grow. As they fly, swarms join up with other swarms to form gigantic plagues several billion strong and as much as 40 miles wide. They will consume every edible thing that lies in their path. This is one of planet Earth's greatest spectacles. It's rarely seen on this scale and it won't last long. Once the food has gone, the steady roar of a billion beating locust wings will once again be replaced by nothing more than the sound of the desert wind.
0: Can you imagine being in the midst of that? uh, These are, locusts are still problem today. In fact, just this past year, uh, with all this stuff going on, that was one of the news articles, I don't know if you remember, but dozens of countries in Africa were being impacted by locust swarms. Back in the 1920s and 1930s, locusts swept across Africa, wiped out five million square miles, which is an area about twice the size of the United States. 1988, the Chicago Tribune uh, reported billions of locusts are moving across North America the worst plague since 1954 blotting out the sun and settling on the land like a black ravenous carpet to strip it clean of vegetation then in 2001 there's an article in the times in london which stated plagues of locusts are devastating crops from central asia to the american midwest sending farmers to the book of exodus for salvation not since the egyptians incurred the wrath of god have so many locusts had their day a billion strong army is on the move stretching far beyond the more normal swarming grounds of Africa in the Middle East the Times went on to report that there were places that the density of the infestation reached 10,000 locusts per 10 square feet and so in a room this size there would be like 3 million locusts in here with us if that was that, that dense and so can you imagine what they saw in Egypt, they, they have never seen that again. And so it was at least that bad. Craziness. Can you imagine being in Egypt in the midst of all of this? I mean, already you've lost your livestock, most of your crops from a, a massive hailstorm. You're still picking scabs off the, the sores and the, the boils on your skin. You, you've got dead flies in your soup your gnats are still stuck in your teeth the remnants of dead frogs and the smell are all around you and now billions of locusts are blackening out the sun it's like a carpet of them everywhere and they're devouring all of your food there's famine it's almost a certainty at this point your economics are probably ruined for the next generation And not only that, the the gods that you have trusted and that you have worshipped for your whole life have completely let you down. They've been pathetic against the God of the Hebrews. And unfortunately for them, the, the worst is yet to come. We read on. Verse 16. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God. And against you. Now therefore forgive my sin. Please only this once. And plead with the Lord your God. Only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh. And he pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind. Into a very strong west wind. Which lifted the locusts. And drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left. In all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go. So we're starting to see some more desperation in the the voice of Pharaoh here. He hastily calls for Moses to come back and Aaron to come back. And again, we see him confess his sin. He even asks for forgiveness this time. I think it's interesting, though, that he says, forgive my sin, please, only this once. It's almost as if he thinks that he's never sinned before and he's not going to sin again. And again, I think this is him negotiating, trying to manipulate the situation. And he's saying, look, God, just take it away. I'll I'll never do it again. I promise. Notice also he continues to ask Moses and Aaron to intercede on his behalf. He recognizes that he's got no relationship with Yahweh. He's got no way to, to directly ask for this request. And at the end, we see Pharaoh's repentance was not real. Again, it was based on emotion. It was based on simply wanting to his circumstances to change. It wasn't real repentance. It was more just an attempt to manipulate God to get what he wanted. So I, I want us to wrestle with this idea of repentance because I think there's a lot of misconceptions with it. I want us to have a better understanding of what repentance truly is. And we see here repentance is not simply feeling bad about sin because you got caught or because it's caused you some pain or some people that are around you some pain. Now repentance does involve remorse, but it, it's a remorse, it's a grieving over how sin has been an offense to God. And, and that's where it starts, but that's not everything there is to know about repentance. Repentance is more than just remorse, though. In fact, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. And so meta means to change. And noia means mind. So it's a a change of mind. But in the New Testament, whenever the word mind is used, it's always connected to the heart. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And so repentance then, it's more than just having a change in your understanding mentally. It's It's a whole heart change. It's It's a change in your understanding of who God is and who you are and what Jesus has accomplished for you. But it's also a change in volition or or will from being self-reliant to being reliant on Christ. It's, It's a change in desire from loving yourself to loving God. And it leads to a change in behavior from disobedience to obedience, from rebellion to surrender. And we see throughout Scripture that repentance is demanded And we see it especially from the mouth of Jesus. He begins his ministry by proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, what do they do? They go and they preach repentance. Luke 13, Jesus uses very strong words. He says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Luke 15, he says, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In Luke's version of the Great Commission, As he's sending out his disciples, Jesus says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And so what we see in the book of Acts is what? The apostles go out to the ends of the earth and what are they doing? They're proclaiming repentance. And so the demand of scripture is very clear. We must repent. But here's what happens. Often, what we end up doing is we water down repentance and we think that repentance is just simply us having a desire to repent. And we leave it at at that. But what does God require? He he requires perfect repentance. Full repentance. Throughout scripture we see that. He, He demands that we love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the problem is none of us do that. None of us, we all fall short of this demand of repentance, which is exactly why we need a Savior. A Savior Jesus who never had to repent and yet went to the cross. While we were yet sinners again, he was willing to lay down his own life in our place so that even when we fall short in our repentance, we can rest assured that Jesus has done everything necessary on our behalf. And for all of us who are in Christ, we can rest knowing that his righteousness has been declared as ours, like we sang about earlier today. And I want you to get this. In the new covenant, when we're supplied a new heart with his spirit inside of us, he gives us what he requires from us. He grants us even repentance. And we see this in several places in the scripture. I'm going to give you two spots Acts chapter 11, verse 18. And so the Jews were astonished that the Gentiles are now coming to faith. So the non Jews are are coming to faith, and they're astonished. And this is what uh, we read. We see when they heard these things, they fell silent. They're just in awe. But then they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Again, Paul, given a final charge to his disciples, Timothy says to him, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so in Christ, we are given these new hearts that recognize our need to repent and and we're so impacted by the love of god and christ being in us that our heart desires to repent his kindness leads us to repentance and it's not perfect repentance over lifetimes we're, we're, we're sanctified and that's part of what sanctification is right this is what's happening in sanctification, as the process of you becoming holy, the process of you becoming more like Christ, that's sanctification, right? So this is what's going on. God is continuing to grant you more and more repentance through your lifetime or your lifetime. And, and that happens as you grow more aware of your own sin. How do you grow more aware of your own sin? Well, one, through Scripture, by being here together. As we're reminded of Christ's holiness and and our sinfulness, we become more aware of the depth of our sin. But we also, he deepens our desire to confess our sins to one another. He humbles us over time. And and he deepens our desire to to experience more and more of the joy of the forgiveness that we have and the mercy of God and the, the grace of God. The good news is that he has promised to finish what he started and so he's going to continue to give you more and more repentance as he makes you more aware of your sin and gives you a desire to confess that sin and enjoy the, the grace that he offers. He, con- he promises, Philippians one six I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it takes a lifetime. I know we wish it would just happen overnight. But it takes a lifetime, and God continues to give us more and more of the grace of repentance. He gives that to us. One of the things that's really comforted me this week as I've been wrestling with this idea of repentance is that even in those moments where we don't feel like we're growing at all, even in those moments where we're like just stuck on this one sin and we just can't get past it and we're just crying out to God and we're, we're struggling and we're asking God, please, Lord, help, help me with this. In those moments when it doesn't feel like God is helping you to grow, you know what? That's actually a sign. The, the, the mere fact that you're struggling with that sin and you're crying out to God for help, that's a sign that he is sanctifying you. And he's drawing you closer. Because if you didn't have Christ in your heart, you wouldn't feel any kind of conviction over that sin. You won't, there would be no struggle. You might feel sorry that, that you got busted. You might feel sorry that there's some pain that you're experiencing because of, of your sin, like Pharaoh did. But you're not going to be crying out to the Lord for help. And so that's a sign that God is working in you. So praise God that if you are in Christ, he promises to never leave you nor forsake you, and you can trust that he will finish what he started, even if you don't feel it all the time let me end with this. If today God has been opening up your eyes to see your utter need for a savior, for your sins to be declared righteous before God, man, I would love to celebrate with you. I would love to celebrate because what that means is God is working in you to give you, to grant you the repentance and the faith that are required of you. And so communion is another great opportunity for us to see visually the mercy of Christ, the grace of Christ, and be reminded once again of his blood that was shed for our forgiveness in our place, that he was humiliated for us. Uh, the, the bread representing his body given to us. We, we brought nothing to the table, but he offers a feast for us, which is him. And so I would encourage you, if you're a believer, If you've trusted in Christ, share in this celebration with us. Um, This is also a time for us to just get alone with God for for a moment and ask him, okay God, where have I sinned? And confess those sins to him. There's healing power as you learn to grow in confessing to the Lord. If you need somebody to pray with, I would love to pray with you, I'll be in the back. if you have questions about salvation or, or what we've talked about, repentance or, or baptism or membership or anything, uh, don't leave today until you get those, those questions answered. But we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion together. And then after everybody's had a chance to do that, we're going to stand once again and continue to worship. This is also a time for us to give generously and sacrificially. If you're a visitor with us, don't feel obligated. You can always give online too if you're listening online. Uh, but let me pray one more time and then we'll celebrate communion together. Father, thank you so much that as we look at these plagues, we're reminded over and over, not just of your wrath, but of your grace, that your mercy always triumphs. And I thank you that you love us so much that you were willing to send your son that even while we were sinners, incapable of trusting in you or, or, or repenting, that you sent your son to die for us in our place and that you, that you open up our eyes to see our need for you. And I pray right now that you would continue to do that, that you would continue throughout this week showing us our, uh, where we sin and the depth of our sin and then pointing us to the cross where we will just stand in awe of your grace and your mercy. And so would you continue to do that this morning even as we share in communion together and we sing about your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.